0: Well, good morning. morning. Please take your Bible and turn to the letter to the Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians will be in chapter 1 this morning, which I believe is on page 976 of the Bibles provided. 976 of the Bibles provided. Uh, It is a joy to be back in Arlington Baptist Church. Uh, Lindsay and I were members here uh, for as long as the time was after the merger. And we were members of Grace Baptist Church of Arlington. Uh, for uh, years before that. And my family and I don't need much of an excuse to come see you from Texas, Uh, but this time, as Mike mentioned, we did throw in a graduation ceremony. Uh, I want to thank you for the blessing and for the encouragement and for the support that this congregation has given to me over the years in seminary, but not just in seminary, but as uh, I grew in my faith and my walk with the Lord Jesus. I also want to thank you for your encouragement and support you've given to Mike Law. He didn't mention that he also graduated uh, from seminary on Friday. Uh, So thank you for the support you've given to to him over the years. Your investment in theological education, it pays dividends in this ministry here at this church. And it pays dividends in the ministry of other churches when people like me uh, move away and find themselves in other churches where we are, by God's grace, serving. So thank you for your kindness and your support in that way. Ten years ago, in the summer of 2008, I packed up my things and I moved from Lubbock, Texas, to Washington, D.C. for a summer clerkship at a law firm here in D.C. I was very excited about the prospects of coming to D.C. and working at a law firm, being Uh, basically an East Texas hillbilly who found himself in West Texas Law School coming to an East Coast law firm. Uh, And so I was excited about that. But it didn't take me long to realize that my expectations and excitement were greatly foiled and dampened and put to bed by life at a D.C. law firm. Uh, My expectations were not met that summer, and it didn't take long for me to realize that uh, my expectations were slightly out of whack. Uh, I made it through that summer... With a particular routine, I'd wake up in the morning, I would take the, maybe the red line, I can't remember now, over to uh, my law firm and I would make it through the day uh, where the work was tedious, where my days were long and my colleagues were equally as miserable. I would make it through that day and then I'd come back to my home uh, on Capitol Hill and I would quickly change, grab a quick bite to eat and I would head down to the Starbucks on Pennsylvania Avenue right by the L- Library of Congress. I think there's a, a, pre- a manger there now across the street. Uh, I'd head to that Starbucks with a Bible in hand and Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I'd walk in, I'd get my coffee, I'd sit down, and I'd read and meditate and pray for the rest of the evening asking God to let me get through the next day. <laughs> I'd sit in that coffee shop reading and praying and journaling almost all summer long. And I recall vividly the face of a certain barista uh, who would greet me every time I walked in every evening with a very simple, how are you? Now, I don't know about you, but when someone asks me, how are you, I tend to give the pat answer, I'm I'm fine, thank you. Uh, I know that there are social conventions as to how much you tell a stranger exactly how you are. Uh, And so, being the ever-conscientious Texan that I am, I tried not to overshare, at least with this barista. But one day it hit me that I had never asked him how he was doing. And so one day I did. I walked in, and just like he did every other time, he looked at me and he said in that very thick African accent, How are you? And I said, in my borderline lying. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? And he looked at me, and I still remember, I can see his face, don't know his name, but I see his face. He looked at me and he said, I am blessed and highly favored. (laughs) That was not what I expected. Here I was, walking in with my Bible, and my knowing God, ready to meditate and pray, relatively miserable from the day, And this barista ever faithfully asking me how I was doing, and the one time I asked him how he was doing, he was blessed and he was highly favored. In my self-centeredness and in my cynicism, in my faithlessness, that barista's response at Starbucks even ten years later, which by the way, I tried it again the next day and he was still blessed and highly favored. That barista's response at Starbucks, even 10 years later, it still convicts me. Because according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3 through 14, every Christian is blessed and highly favored of God. And so we ought to live like it, brothers and sisters. Before we jump into our text this morning, before we jump into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, let's pray. And let's ask God to bless us even now. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And Father, what we are not, make us. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now hear the Word of God from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse... the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. We will consider these verses this morning under four headings. Four headings. First, we will consider the Blessed Trinity the Blessed Trinity. We see in these verses that the people of God are blessed because the God of the people is the Blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Secondly, we'll consider that we are blessed by the Father. We are blessed by the Father. These verses teach us that the love of God the Father works all things according to the counsel of His will as He predestines and elects a people to be holy and blameless the praise of His glory and grace. Third, we will consider that we are blessed in the Son. We are blessed in the Son. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we have adoption into God's family, redemption from our sin, we have a knowledge of God, and we are made co-heirs with Christ. And lastly, we will consider that we are blessed through the Holy Spirit. Blessed through the Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit marks the Christian with a seal on his soul, and, the, and is the guarantee of our glorious inheritance from the Father in the Son. So we are blessed. We, there's the Blessed Trinity. We are blessed by the Father. We are blessed in the Son. And we are blessed through the Holy Spirit. The main point of this passage is that the Blessed Trinity works in accord to bless God's people by the will of God the Father In God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit. The Blessed Trinity works in accord to bless God's people by the will of God the Father, in God the Son, and through God the Holy Spirit. Put another way, the Father arranges our blessing, the Son accomplishes our blessing, and the Holy Spirit applies our blessings. The Father arranges, the Son accomplishes, and the Spirit applies our blessing. So now let us consider, our god who is this blessed trinity in the original greek verses 3 through 14 is a single complex sentence that seems like or gives the sense that as john john stott put it Paul's speech pours out of his mouth in a continuous cascade. He neither stops for breath nor punctuates his words with full stops. It is a paean of praise, a doxology to God who, as Paul says in verse 3, is the blessed God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 3 we see all three persons of the Godhead. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit or every spiritual blessing, every blessing of the Spirit. The first thing that Paul does in this doxology is to confess the blessedness of the Trinitarian God. The origin of the blessing is the God and Father. Who is the means of our blessing? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the nature of our blessedness? It is of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see there in verse 3. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the Trinity is not some abstract theological doctrine for theological eggheads. The Trinity is the very essence of the nature of our God. The Trinity is the blessed communion of the Father with the Son which leads to divine action in the Spirit to include us in the blessedness of the triune life. Our current and eternal joy, brothers and sisters, is completely dependent on the triunity of our God. God acts out of His blessed triunity to make us blessed. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit is given to us by the Father if we are in the Son. And there is no spiritual blessing that has been withheld by our good and gracious Father if we are in the Son and if we are receiving it through His Holy Spirit. And so we sing as we have sung just now, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Paul here breaks forth in a breathless, doxological praise because he is recounting for us the divine blessedness in action, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And he starts his meditation with the Father. With the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we are blessed by the Father. Here, Paul introduces us to the eternal and the mysterious purpose of God the Father and the blessing of election and predestination. Election and predestination. In verse 4, we're told that God the Father chose us. He elected us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Two or three times, depending on how you count, we are told that God the Father predestined us for salvation. Three times in these 12 verses, we're told that God the Father works all things according to the purpose or the counsel of His will. So what are we to make of these statements by Paul about election? and about predestination how do we square such statements with man's responsibility man's will well many have speculated in an attempt to reconcile these seemingly competing realities but we are we can confidently see at least three truths that are taught here in this text this morning first we can see that the doctrine of election and predestination is a divine revelation It is not human speculation. It is a divine revelation, not human speculation. It is clearly taught here in these 12 verses. The Father chose us. He elected us. Verse 4. He predestined us for adoption according to His will. Verse 5. He makes known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose. Verse 9. He has a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 10. He predestined us for an inheritance and He works all things according to the counsel of His will. Verse 11. And that is just in these 12 verses not to say the overwhelming evidence of Scripture that reveals to us that God is in fact God. That God possesses all blessedness and all authority. That God is free, He's completely free, to do all His good pleasure to, in, and through His creation. And yet, mankind does possess a a derivative freedom to make real choices when faced with real changing circumstances. Then the Scripture also testifies to this reality that man is responsible for the choices and the decisions that he makes according to the counsel of his will. We see that here in verse 12. You hoped in Christ. Verse 13, you heard, you believed. The Scripture holds both truths in tension. God sovereignly elects, God predestines, and humanity is responsible for the decisions that we make. We see this reality of divine and human freedom, perhaps most clearly in the Pentecost sermon preached by the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter two, starting in verse 22. You don't need to turn there, but Acts chapter two, starting in verse 22, Peter stands up and he says this. He says, "Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did." through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan, the definite plan, and foreknowledge of God, you crucified, you killed, by the hands of lawless men. God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for Him to be held. It was not possible for Him to be held by it. Do you see that even in the greatest tragedy, and in the greatest blessing, in the death of God the Son, there is a divine plan, a definite plan, and yet there is also human responsibility? Brothers and sisters in Christ, this doctrine, it pushes us to the outer limits of what we can understand of God and His ways. But it is always important for us to remember what we know of God and what we know of ourselves. God is holy. God is wise. God is love. And we know ourselves by God's grace to be sinful, to have freely chosen by the counsel of our own wills to disobey God and to disobey His commands. God's purposes may be mysterious and hidden to us, but He has so graciously revealed to us the truth that He alone is holy, that He alone is most wise, and that He loves us perfectly. He has revealed to us that while He is not the author of sin, as one theologian put it, He has authority to overcome sin. Therefore, let us not grumble and complain against God's mysterious yet holy, wise, and loving ways, brothers and sisters. But let us entrust ourselves to Him who perfectly, wisely, and lovingly works all things according to the counsel of His good will. For if He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us to overcome our sin, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things in this life and the life to come for life and godliness? Divine election and divine predestination is, is divine revelation. It is not human speculation. Second, the doctrine of election and predestination is a motivation for our holiness. It's a motivation for our holiness rather than an excuse for sin. Did you notice the what of our election in these verses? The Father chose us in Christ for what? To be holy and blameless before Him. To be holy and blameless before Him. God's elect are positionally holy now in Jesus Christ. We're positionally holy now. Though our sin may remain, and we are made progressively holier throughout our lives until that day when we will be perfectly holy with Christ In glory. We are positionally holy now. We are being made progressively holier. And when that day comes, when we are with Christ in glory, we will be perfectly holy with Him. If anyone says that election and predestination serve as an excuse for sinfulness, brothers and sisters, they do not understand God's purposes for election and predestination. They do not grasp the work and power of God that is even now at work in His people. God's purpose in election and predestination is the holiness of His people. Brothers and sisters, God has predestined you to be holy in Jesus Christ. What great confidence then! What great confidence we have to put to death the sin which still remains. What assurance that through many dangers and toils and snares we have already come. And His love and His grace has led us this far and it will safely lead us home. So this doctrine of divine predestination and election, it is for our holiness. It is not for our sinfulness. Third, the doctrine of election and predestination, it encourages humility in God's people rather than pride. It encourages humility rather than pride. Election and predestination challenges our pride. And if you bristle at this doctrine this morning, brothers and sisters, friends, I wonder if it's not your pride that is challenging God's freedom and God's authority to do as He pleases. This doctrine encourages humility in God's people because it teaches us that God alone is the source of our salvation. It is He who made us. It is we who destroyed us. And it is He who saves us. And that of his own free grace. Brothers and sisters, a proud Christian is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. Brothers and sisters, we of all people should be humble. We should be reminded that God's love for us is of no merit in ourselves. We are like the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7, where God explained to them, as we heard earlier, that it was of no merit in them that God chose them, it was his own free choice. It was not because of anything they had done that God set His affection upon them. No, God loves His people because He loves His people. God loves you, Christian, because God has chosen to love you. The doctrine of divine election and divine predestination, it encourages our humility rather than encourages our pride. Well, we we must not attempt to speak any further than Scripture speaks of this matter and so dispel any mystery in election and predestination for we know it is most mysterious. But rather, we must humbly submit ourselves to the divine revelation of this great and comforting mystery that God the Father, by His own free will, acting in love, set His grace and mercy upon us in eternity so that we might be holy and blameless. He did it so that we might be blessed in the Son. Blessed in the Son. God the Father not only predestines the end of our election, but He also provides the means of our salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the object of the Father's great love. And it is only in Christ that we find our blessing from God the Father. And what is that blessing that we receive in Jesus Christ? It is redemption. It is adoption. And it is revelation. Redemption, adoption, and revelation. In Jesus Christ, we receive our most fundamental blessing, which is the redemption from our sin. The redemption from our sin. Look in verse 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Redemption here in this text means deliverance. It means deliverance by payment of a price. It's tied closely to forgiveness of a debt. You see that there in the text as well. The need for deliverance exists because God is a just judge and we have broken all of God's commands. We have failed to live up to God's glory. And like the Israelites of old, our disobedience has led us into slavery. Sin is our master and death is our reward. If we are ever to receive the blessing from God, we must be redeemed from the penalty due our sin. Friends, this is your most fundamental need. The redemption from your sin. And the payment of redemption cannot be made by you, for it is an eternal debt paid to an eternal God. But we by faith, can confess as we sung how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that He would send His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Our election was in eternity, but brothers and sisters, our redemption was accomplished in time and space through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. God sent forth His Son at just the right time to live the life we could never live and to die the death that we deserve and to rise again vindicating Him and proving to all that Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection is acceptable in God's sight. It is the price of our redemption. And we can take hold of that redemption by trusting in Jesus Christ and trusting ourselves into the riches of God's grace in the sinless blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. If only you would turn and believe. Do you have this redemption? Has your debt been paid by the only one with the means to pay it? By Jesus Christ Himself. Friend, turn from your sin. Turn from your sin and let the Lord Jesus forgive your debt. redeem. Let Him redeem you from the penalty that is due to your sin. And notice, beloved, that God's grace through His Son is given to you according to, the riches of, according to his riches, according to his riches, not out of his riches. So maybe you should think about a wealthy man. A wealthy man who has lots of money stored up. And maybe he gives you a gift out of his wealth. And maybe that gift is small because he's only giving it out of his riches as opposed to according to his riches. If you have an abundance and you give according to your abundance then your gift matches your abundance. Well, God's grace to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, is abundant. And so He gives according to that abundance, Paul tells us. If He gave out of His abundance, then perhaps He would only give you enough grace here and there. Maybe enough grace to get you through that situation, but not another. But no, brothers and sisters, He gives according to His riches. He gives according to His riches, the Scripture says. And so He lavishes us with His abundant grace and mercy and love in Jesus Christ. As the old Gospel hymn reads, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood, sealed my pardon with His blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior! Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was He. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What a Savior. Lifted up was He to die. It is finished, was His cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And when He comes, our glorious King, all His redeemed home to bring, then anew His song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. The most fundamental blessing that we need is the redemption from our sins. And it's given to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But in Jesus Christ, we also receive our highest blessing. Our highest blessing, and that is adoption. Adoption into God's family. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to His purpose, to the praise of His glorious grace. Incidentally, notice that election and predestination has a purpose. It is purposeful. Election and predestination is with an eye towards adoption. J.I. Packer says that our adoption in Christ is the highest privilege that the gospel offers us. And Packer continues, Adoption is a family idea. It's conceived in love and viewing God as Father. Father. In adoption, God takes us into His family and fellowship. He establishes us as His children and heirs. Closeness, affection, generosity are at the heart of that relationship. To be right with God, the judge, is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater still. So let us consider what it means to be adopted in Christ. What it means to have God as our Father. Well, it means that God intimately cares for you, Christian. Cares for every detail in your life. What father, when his child asks for bread, will give him a stone? And so it is with your heavenly Father. The psalmist reminds us that when we are in need, that the Father pities us. The Proverbs tell us that when we need refuge, God protects us. And so we can cast our cares on our Father because He is strong and He cares for His children. And because He is our Father and because He cares for us, beloved, that means that sometimes He will discipline us. As the writer to the Hebrews reminds us, the Lord disciplines those He loves and He chastises every son He receives. But beloved, beloved, know this. God does not discipline out of wrath. Rather, we are chastened by Him as by a loving Father. God's discipline is always a mercy in your life. Beloved, if you feel as if God has cast you off, if you feel as if you're under God's discipline even now, as if He might have turned His face away from you, hold fast to the promise of Lamentations 3.31. Lamentations 3.31, that while severe mercies may come to you, the Lord will not cast you off forever, but rather as the Lord Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If in adoption we have God as our Father, Jesus Christ as our elder brother, then we also have the church as our family. Notice that Paul says that our blessing of adoption comes in the Beloved in verse 6. In one sense, uh, Paul is only restating what he's previously said and what he says throughout these verses, which is that our, our blessing is found in Christ. Our adoption is in Christ. Christ is the Beloved. But Christ sits ahead of a body. And that is the church. Church. And so in this age, our most basic relationship is to God in Christ. But our second most important relationship is to God's people. We are blessed in the Beloved, in the church of Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are God's family. We are one family, one father, one elder brother, one spirit of adoption. We are to do all that we can, therefore, to foster unity and love in this family, for members of this church, let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to seek out, seek out to live the way that Christ lived for you by laying down your life for his people. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption from our sin, we are adopted into God's family, and the character and purpose of God is revealed to us the character and purpose of God is revealed to us. Verses 8-10 through tell us that the Father's plan is for all things to be united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All things will be united under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It was the purpose of God from eternity to send forth His Son to be the means of our redemption, to be the elder brother of our adoption, and to reclaim all that was lost in the fall of Adam. So if you want to know what the Father is like, we look to the Son. If you want to know the wisdom of God, we look to the Son. If you want to know the end of God's plan, we look to the Son. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the fullness of God dwells in bodily form. And He has accomplished all that the Father intended. And He will come again in glory to make all things new, to subdue all things under His feet. The Lord Jesus is the reason that we can rest in the providence of God. That we can rest in the predestined plan of God. Even in the midst of the hardest of circumstances. Because we know, we know that in Christ, all of the good promises of God are yes and amen. And so we can say, not with fear, but with confidence, with joy, with great anticipation, we can say, come Lord Jesus. Come. Finish the plan that God has started here and now. The Blessed Trinity blesses His people by the Father. He blesses His people in the Son. And He blesses His people through the Holy Spirit. He blesses us through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit of God who applies God's blessings to His people. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way, "...the Holy Spirit has been given to me personally, so that by true faith He makes me share in Christ and in all His blessings. He comforts me and He remains with me forever." And so Paul here describes the Holy Spirit in three ways. He says the Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. He says the Holy Spirit is the seal. And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. In verse 13, we read of the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has, as with the Father and the Son, been active in the world from creation. And of course... The Spirit of God was active in and among God's people of old, but the Spirit's ministry was promised anew. There was fresh ministry promised by the Holy of the Holy Spirit by the Old Testament prophets. And so we read in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel thirty-six, verses twenty-six and twenty-seven, we read this The Lord is speaking, and he says, I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey all of my rules. Joel Joel chapter 2 verse 28. Joel 2:28 The Lord says it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy they shall speak the word of God and your old men shall dream dreams and your young men see visions. The Lord, through the prophets of old, promised today when the Spirit's ministry to his people would be a ministry in his people. And the Lord Jesus Himself promised the active ministry of the Holy Spirit in the people of God in John chapters 14 and 15 and 16 and in Luke chapter 24. And brothers and sisters, the promised Holy Spirit has come. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on God's people in fulfillment of the promise and so empowered the people of God to speak the Word of God in different tongues so the blessing of God would come to all kinds of people, both to Jews and to Gentiles. And the promised Holy Spirit, it indwells everyone who repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, placing a seal on our soul. We see this clearly in verse 13. In verse 13, "...in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit." So what does it mean for the Spirit to be a seal for a Christian? Well, in one sense, it certainly means that the Spirit keeps you, the Spirit holds you fast, the Spirit seals you, protects you from any eternal and spiritual harm to your soul. Ultimately, the Spirit protects you from falling into the eternal grip of the world and the flesh and the devil. But here in this text, the sense is that the Holy Spirit is more of a seal as in a mark. As in a mark of ownership or a mark of authenticity on the believer's soul. In Texas, a rancher might brand his cattle with a mark. So God, through His Spirit, brands you, Christian, on your heart, making you His own. So the promised Holy Spirit does not only mark the Christian as a, branded, as a brand wood cattle, but it also gives a foretaste. The Spirit, He gives a foretaste of the life that is to come. The Holy Spirit, we read in verse 14, is the guarantee, literally a down payment of our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ until we acquire full possession of it. Since we are adopted into God's family, we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Him. And what is this great inheritance that we have, brothers and sisters? It is the fullness of all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ the fullness of all the blessings we have in Christ. We have already been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, set free from the penalty of sin. Set free from the penalty of sin. And through the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, we are being set free from the power of sin. We're being set free from the power of sin now, here, today. And we will one day be set free from the presence of sin. The Holy Spirit sets us free from the penalty of sin. It sets us free from the penalty of sin. We are being set free from the power of sin, and we will, on that day, be free from the presence of sin. The down payment of the promised Holy Spirit to us means that we can walk now, today, as children of God in pleasing obedience to our Father, with our elder brother, the Lord Jesus, leading the way. Did you notice? Did you notice that in the Ezekiel prophecy, the Spirit makes us able to obey? Did you notice that? The Spirit does not set us free from obedience, but it empowers us to obedience. We can, in the Spirit, endeavor to be holy and blameless before God our Father now. And we will most assuredly be holy and blameless before God our Father on that day. When we will have perfect knowledge of Him who loved us even before the foundation of the world to the praise of His glorious grace. We have already been adopted into the family of God. But one day, on that day, we will be united with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ around that family feast at the great wedding supper of the Lamb where there will be no more division, no more strife, but only the fullness of joy that comes in the presence of the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste. It gives us a guarantee of that day today. The church is to be marked by the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Brothers and sisters, we may be tossed to and fro by the winds and waves of turmoil in the universal church. But do you not have a foretaste of glory every time this congregation gathers to sing God's Word, to pray God's Word, to hear God's Word preached, to taste God's Word in the supper, to see God's Word in baptism, do you not have a foretaste of what is to come for you, Christian? While turmoil may seemingly rage in the church universal, brothers and sisters, let us labor in the unity of spirit and the bond of peace for health in this local church. Don't be discouraged by the church at large. Be encouraged by this local congregation. Our inheritance beloved is the redemption of our sins in full, our adoption into God's family at last. And our inheritance our inheritance is the end of our salvation, the glorification of our bodies. The final act of union with Christ is to be like Christ in glory. As sure as our bodies will lay in the grave if the Lord should tarry, we can be equally assured that our bodies will be raised like His resurrected body. As sure as Christ reigns in victory now from his heavenly throne, so we will reign with Christ over a new heaven, over a new earth where righteousness dwells. And just as sure as Jesus Christ has defeated sin, death and hell for us, so there is coming a day when Satan, and sin and death will be finally vanquished by our conquering King. There will be no more mourning on that day. There will be no more pain on that day. There will be no more tragedy on that day. There will be no more abuse on that day. There will be no more cancer on that day. There will be no more death on that day. For the former things will have passed away. And the Lord Jesus will have made all things new. Beloved, this is our sure and steady anchor when the tempest rages on. This is our inheritance in Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit. It is our redemption. It is our adoption. And it is our glorification with Jesus Christ. And so let me close now with this from John Stott. Thus, everything we have and everything we are in Christ both comes from God And returns to God. It begins in His will. And it ends for His glory. For this is where everything begins. And this is where everything shall end. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Blessed be our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every blessing of the Spirit in the heavenly places. Even as you chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before you. In love you predestined us for adoption to yourself as sons through Jesus Christ according to your good purpose to the praise of your glorious grace with which You blessed us in the Beloved. We have redemption through Jesus' blood. The forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of Your grace which You have lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. You have made known to us the mystery of Your will, O God, according to Your purpose which You set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Jesus Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. In Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to Your purpose. And You work all things according to the counsel of Your will, so that we who hope in Christ might be to the praise of Your glory. In Him, You also, when when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and we believed in Jesus, You sealed us with Your promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it on that day. To the praise of Your glory.